May we turn in our Bibles, please, to Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians and in the uh, fifth chapter. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, or unclean person, or covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Beloved, we're in a section here of this epistle in which the apostle, under the reference to what he calls walk, describes the position of the Christian in the present world and his, his activity. And in my Wednesday night, or my Thursday night, or rather Friday night dissertation that I gave you, I took that passage in the 17th verse of this fourth chapter, in which the apostle says that he testifies in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. There must be a difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And that's what's being completely glossed over today. But what I'd like to do tonight is to go on from that and see how the apostle actually develops our position and our relationship. This entire section begins in chapter 4. Will you take your Bibles for just a moment? And in chapter 4 he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now there he begins this practical section. There is no such thing as a separation of doctrine from life. If you're straight on your doctrine, you should be straight on your life. The two go inseparably together. And after he deals with these doctrinal sections of his great epistles, Paul invariably turns to what you would call the practical section. And I'm afraid that it's in the practical area that we... Uh, we permit things to slip and to slide. If we're going to be Christians, we must act like Christians. If we're going to be fundamentalists, we must act and live like fundamentalists should live. And the instructions to this end are given to us in the Scripture. There's absolutely no excuse why any Christian ought not, know, ought not to know how to live. We've got the instructions, we've got the pattern, we've got it all laid out for us in the Bible. 
We don't need to go searching here, running there. The Bible is all that we need, and we say the Bible is our only infallible rule of faith, and we defend the faith. But it's our only infallible rule of practice, and we need to exalt the practice. We need to emphasize this that has to do with our conduct and our relationships. Now here in this fourth chapter he says, You have been called now into a holy calling. You have life eternal. You have all the inheritance among the saints. All of that's yours. Now live like it. Walk like it. Sing like it. That's what he said. And as he discusses this, he comes down through that section, which we saw yesterday, or rather Friday. And then the section we touched on this morning has to do with the uh, uh, relationships to each other, no bitterness, no wrath against one another. We must be willing to forgive each other. Having separated from the Gentile world with its unbelief, having come together in this small fellowship which was called the church, we are bound one to another and we have a relationship. And beloved, I tell you, if Christians can't forgive one another of their offenses, then there is no Christianity left. And furthermore, if Christians will not manifest that unity and that love which we're to have and which God wants us to have, then there's something wrong with our Christianity and our profession. And the apostle is telling us here that we must be kind one to another. We must be tender hearted. Now we move into chapter 5. And when we get into chapter 5, he continues to exhort us on the basis of our purity, our individual stand. However, if you move down through this section, you'll find beginning in verse 21 that he talks about our relationship to others, submitting, one another, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. And then he takes up the marriage relationship. Wives, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And from verse 21 on down to the end of that chapter, he's talking about the relationship of two Christians who live in the marriage bond. And he discusses that for us. And you young couples who are getting married or are thinking of getting married, you don't need to go off and read a lot of trash. You just read these passages in Ephesians. You just read what the Apostle Paul has to say of these relationships of the believer and the unbeliever as they are yoked together in the marriage bond. And then beginning with the sixth chapter, he turns to the children, which are the fruit of the marriage bond. And he says, now children, this is your relationship to, the, to your family and to your father and mother. And then he moves down, he talks about the servants and the slaves in the household and what should be their attitude. And finally in verse 10 he says, my brethren, you couples that are married, you believers, you children who are believers, you slaves who are believers, all of you people who are believers, you be strong in the Lord. And then he tells you to put on the whole armor. And that passage, the whole armor with which we're all familiar, goes all the way back to that fourth chapter 
where he says, Beloved, I'm the prisoner of the Lord, and now I beseech you to walk worthy. And then he takes these matters and he's specific. Now let's turn to this passage which we have tonight. And he says in the opening of this fifth chapter, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. As whose children? God's children. He means the children of God. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now I think it's very significant that at this particular point he says that we are to follow God. The God Almighty is our Father. We're his children. And our Father is not going to mislead us. Let's follow him. Our Father is not going to deceive us. Let's trust him. And at this point, you have the apostle saying, ye are the children of God and you must follow God. Now notice, I want you to notice how Paul developed this so beautifully. He comes on down just a few sentences later. And he speaks in this passage about those who are the enemies of God. And he speaks about those in this fifth chapter in which they are the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. And he contrasts that's Verse 6, he says, Let no man deceive you. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But the wrath of God is not on the children of light. And he makes the distinction here between the children who are following God as his children and those who will not have anything to do with God. They're not his children. They are the children of disobedience and they're under his wrath. Somebody called my attention to some silly article in the local paper here about me this week. I just read it. Somebody wrote an article from over in England, Oxford, England. Apparently they're going to school over there, and they talk about Dr. McIntyre's many trips to South Africa. I've never even been in South Africa. It's a very interesting thing the way they've developed this. But the conclusion of the article, and it's uh, references to Dr. McIntyre's views in racial matters, is that Dr. McIntyre doesn't understand the brotherhood of man. That's right, I don't understand it. There is no such thing. There is no such doctrine. And apparently this letter was in... How many of you saw this letter? Did any of you see it? Yeah, I guess they'll be talking about it now. But, beloved, may I say to you that this person writing this article from over in Oxford, going to school there, putting in the local paper against Dr. McIntyre, saying they're talking about our views over there, they've got the strange idea that everything has to be evaluated from the position of what they call the brotherhood of man. There is no such platform. There is no such doctrine. There is no such concept. It just doesn't exist. It never has existed, and it never will exist. And furthermore, in this passage, you have a clear distinction running down through it. 
Ye are the children of God. Follow the Almighty. Here are the children of disobedience. They are the children of darkness. They are the children of wrath. And the Bible completely destroys this fallacious idea which is being preached by the socialist that there is a brotherhood of man among all humanity. Do you know the reason why the communists are against the Bible? Well, it's against the brotherhood of man, and the communists have got the brotherhood of man. You're all slaves. You know why the socialists are against the Bible? Because the Bible's against the brotherhood of man, and they're building their kingdom on the brotherhood of man. You know why the liberals are against the Bible? Because most of them are humanists, and their humanistic thought is built upon the idea of the brotherhood of man. And I want to say to you people tonight, it's the brotherhood of man idea that seeped into our political thinking and our politicians get up and they talk about the marvelous brotherhood of man. Usually that comes at the conclusion of their great speech where they must put in one reference to God to satisfy the general public. Now, beloved, in this passage here, the apostle is saying, that those of us who are his children by faith, we must live like it, act like it, and stand strong in the things of our God. Now just look a little further. He says, walk in love. Walk in love. Beloved, if there is one idea today that is being perverted, it is this idea of love. We've got the most emaciated type of love that you could possibly imagine. In fact, there's no love in this kind of love. This kind of love is an artic artifice. It's a, it's a strategy. It's a weapon. It's simply something that's being used to destroy the distinction that God's word makes between truth and error, between heaven and hell, and between Christ and the devil. This Presbyterian article that I've just referred to, written by this elder and published in Presbyterian Life, goes on to say that today no enlightened man uh, could believe in the idea that there is a hell and that uh, he couldn't possibly accept Jesus' recognition of this thing called the devil. And then he proceeds to say, the author of this article proceeds to say that no God of love in this enlightened time could ever punish anybody, as the Bible says, in hell. Beloved, that's exactly what Tom Paine preached. That's exactly what the atheist preached. That's exactly what the agnostics are preaching today. We've got some silly, sick, soggy concept of love and uh, God wouldn't punish anybody. He's too loving. Would you read the rest of that sentence? Look at it. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to the devil? No. A sacrifice to God? 
for a sweet-smelling saint. Beloved, the love of God is so great and the love of God is so pure and the love of God is so infinite that that love did not wink at justice. It did not ignore justice. It could not. That love met the demands of God's infinite justice against sin and against disobedience. And we're told that Christ loved us and hath given himself as an offering. An offering to whom? A sacrifice. A sacrifice to whom? A sacrifice to God. And the atonement on the cross was a gift of the love of God, whereby that love met the demands of infinite justice, and Jesus Christ was an atonement bringing us to God by that act. If you want to see the love of God, you see it in the cross of Calvary, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There you see the love. And these people say, God is such a God of love that he wouldn't send anybody to hell. God was so full of love that his son bore the penalties of hell for us so we wouldn't have to die under condemnation and under wrath. Now what I like about this passage is, and it's beautiful, the word of God, beloved, just rises here we're dealing with all these assaults upon us because we don't believe in the brotherhood of man, you know. And you come to this passage where you say, Be ye followers of God as his children, and be not like those who are the children of wrath and the children of disobedience and the children of darkness. Be not like them. And this line is drawn. And then the modernists, and they all come in and say, Well, you fundamentalists, we can't go with you. You don't have a God of love because you're preaching wrath and judgment. And just at that very moment, just at that very point, just at that very place, God loved you. He gave himself an offering. Gave himself a sacrifice to God in your stead. And oh, how the apostle believed that God Almighty in his infinite justice had to condemn sin had to condemn the devil and all his deeds. And hell, according to the words of Christ, was a place prepared by God for the devil and his angels. They deserve to be placed in hell because of the justice and the wrath of God. And beloved, it is the elimination of the preaching of judgment which has brought about all the relaxation and the multiplying of crime. That's what's done. And it's all related to this glorious concept of God being just and punishing the sinner because of his disobedience and God being a God of love and offering his son as a sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God and to bring us back to God. And beloved, if you understand the cross, you'll never believe in this humanistic brotherhood of man. If you understand the cross, you seek to take sinners 
and bring them in to the family of God where they can be the followers of God, as Paul says. All right, now let's take the next statement. Look at this. About fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saint. Beloved, now that you have become the child of God, you must immediately clean your life up, clean your body up, clean up all the sins against the body. No fornication. Here is your new morality. This is what's going on in these hippie compounds where they sleep every night with a half a dozen girls. This is the awful wickedness that's going on in our college campuses today when they're saying we are mature, we'll relax the regulations, and girls can stay in the boys' dormitories now all night if they want to. And this is exactly what's going on but fornication and all uncleanness. Let it not once be mentioned among you you have now become a child of God. You're to follow him and his commandments are here to regulate your life. I want to say to this congregation tonight, when the church gets away from the commandments of God which will regulate the lives of the Christians, then the state comes in with its increased regulations to try to protect life and to keep us. I saw in a paper just this week that Wildwood, New Jersey's put on 40 new policemen on their police force to take care of the troubles they got down in Wildwood, New Jersey. Just 40 of them. What, what's it going to cost the taxpayer? And if we can't regulate ourselves, which we will do if the gospel is preached, then the state comes in to regulate us so that the criminals can be suppressed and we're suppressed with them. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. I said to you people from this pulpit that when they put this big Chinese wall up through our town, which our mayor was responsible for, Mayor Armitage, and I fought the thing and opposed it and got to be chairman of this local committee, I told you that one of these days when the wall got up, you'd have words of filth written on it. Well, just go around and look at them. They're there now. They're there. I don't know who's going to scratch them off. But just look at it. The whole reaction, the filthy communications, these filthy words that just seem to just spew out of the mouths of the ungodly, they're all about us. When you become a Christian, that stops. When you become a believer, you love holiness. You love to be sanctified by the Spirit of God. And all that's taken out of you. But it's taken out of you from the inside out and not from the outside in. It's only the Spirit of the living God who can take the word of God and put it in your heart, and then it is that you want to be clean and decent. Oh, frankly, beloved, 
this woman who called me tonight on the phone, she says, Dr. McIntyre, I says, I says, lady, how are your girl's grades? Oh, she's making 95, but she says she's not making out so good in English. She says they're making her read all these filthy books. And she says she's not making out so good in English. I says, is she flunking? No, she's not flunking, but she's not making out so good. Somehow or other, our educators have gotten the idea that the more filth you teach the kids, the more uh, uh, scholarly literature you have today. And I want you people to know that as Christians, we'll have none of that in our Christian high school. And I want you to know that we don't believe in letting our young people feed on that sort of stuff. There's no young person alive that has the heart that cannot be affected and will not be affected by that kind of filth. And God says here, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now notice this. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. And what is he trying to tell you? He's trying to tell you and me that Christ, when he is Lord, when he is king, when he is first, is Lord of every single particle of your life, your minds, your deeds, your acts. And everything we do in every area must be brought into captivity and under his direction and his control. There's no place for anything like this in your life as a believer. Paul is saying The apostle is emphasizing the fact that if you are covetous and that's an idol in your life, then Christ is not your king because you still have some other idol. And when you come to crown him Lord of all, there are no idols left. There is no covetous left. None of that's left in our souls or in our hearts. Now, beloved, we're dealing with something here that I can't get at. It's impossible for me to get at it. I can see a drunkard out here and you can see him. But I don't know the covetousness of your heart. I can't get into it. I can't get down into that. There are an awful lot of men in this world that are so covetous. Their business has become an idol to them. Their political life has become an idol to them. And I'm so concerned about the political. I want you people to go vote on Tuesday. Just, just vote for the right person. I want you to go vote. I want all of our people to take concern. But one of the things that troubles me is that so frequently when good men get into politics, the first thing you know, they, they, they begin to drink their cocktails and they begin to do this and they begin to go that and the first thing you know, they've let down. The apostle is saying here in this passage, don't you let any of these things come in to be idle. Don't make your wife an idol. Don't make your children an idol. Don't make your house an idol. Don't make your car an idol. Don't make your chickens an idol. Don't make anything that you have an idol. 
Let everything come and be under the Lamb and under the Son and under His Word. And if it's there, then you will serve Him with singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. No man hath any inheritance. There's no part. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither murderers nor fornicators. Just think of what the apostles said. My problem is that I think there are a great many people who call themselves Christians and probably think that they are Christians, but they've never been born again. We're living in an atmosphere today that we call Christianity, which is sort of vague in general. And men think, well, I'm Christian, I'm decent, I run my own business, I look after my family, I give good advice to my children, I go to church on Sunday mornings, I, I'm a respectable sort of a person, and I think I'm a Christian. My concern is that multiplied thousands of people in this country who do that sort of thing think they're Christian is that they're not Christian at all, and their hearts are full of idols. I don't know what those idols are. But God knows what those idols are. And every man that lives like that also will confess that I put my allegiance to this above my obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no hope for this country. There's no hope for us unless we can get back to the preaching of the word and the bringing into being of this new creation. There's no hope. I just can't understand why the American people tonight don't see these things. Are we dull of hearing? Just dull of hearing. All you hear about on the radio now is a poverty, 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 poverty. The scripture has a way to deal with poverty. It's all here. We ought to follow the scriptures. But the new way to deal with poverty is to have the government take money away from you and give it to somebody else. That's the new way to deal with poverty. The new way to deal with poverty is to destroy our system, to destroy our society. The new way to deal with poverty is to just give a guaranteed annual wage to everybody. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just quit and get a guaranteed annual wage? That'd be fine. It'd be absolutely wonderful. We are completely demoralizing the character of the individual. And we're completely demoralizing everything that this country has ever stood for so far as the responsibility of the individual is concerned. Covetousness. Let it not be an idol. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, beloved, I'm going to refer again, and I've been reading it and working on it this afternoon, this Presbyterian article. I think it's the greatest thing that's happened in a long time. Why in the world would the Presbyterians ever publish an article that the ordinary man can understand? That's what I can't understand. Why they'd why I the criticisms that I object to in Jesus Christ. The ordinary man can understand that. They can understand that. Because the simplest Christian that knows anything about Christianity knows that Jesus Christ was perfect, and you can't object to perfection. Makes no difference who you are, you can't object to perfection. If you do, then you're hyper perfect or something else. 
But there's only one standard of righteousness, and Christ was that. He was sinless. And so the Presbyterians have come out now with a nice big article, which I'm going to photograph, I'm going to give it away. The men from Pakistan took it back with them. The people in Pakistan can understand this kind of talk. And they've come out with it just at this present moment when all this thing is operating so far as poverty is concerned. And, beloved, I say to you tonight that these liberals and these apostates and these modernists and the atheists and all the rest of them who don't understand what the Bible teaches about sonship and about being the children of God and are basking in their evil ideas of the brotherhood of man, these people think that the Bible is a terrible danger to our country. We've got to get rid of this. And then they come along with their Christian ethic and their so-called standards of morality, and they say what we have in the Bible is not Christian, and what we have in the Bible is sub-Christian, and what we have in the Bible is, is not the standard of morality, and they use the false standards which have been built up to nullify and turn away from the Bible, and that's where the great clash is in our country tonight, socially, politically, religiously, economically, in every field of endeavor, that clash is on at the present moment. And God says, you Christians, I want you to walk. I want you to live. I want you to manifest this love in your hearts for Christ. He died for you. You'll be willing to die for him. You be willing to suffer and to stand for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When I take a passage like this in Ephesians dealing with the Christian walk, and I hear people say, well, uh, the Bible isn't specific. How specific can you be? People say the Bible doesn't give us any guidance. What kind of guidance do you want? Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's the way you're to live. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And you show me a company of Christians who are living for Jesus and proving what is acceptable to him. I'll show you an honest community. I'll show you a clean community. I'll show you a community where the young people respect one another and they go into the marriage bond in the highest ideals of purity and the standards of righteousness. You show me a community like this and I'll show you a community where you have homes and you have happy marriages that last throughout life until death do we part. You show me a community that lives by these standards and I'll show you a place where the word of God is being honored and the message of God is being exalted. Talk about practical. Talk about coming to issues with life. This Bible does. That's why we have it, to give us all this guidance and all this blessing. Now I'm going to stop, but I'd like to go on. He says, let no man deceive you with vain words and and he goes on, talks about having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Oh, beloved, after you get straight on this matter of the Gentiles, after you get straight on this matter of being a son of God, and he says, don't mix up, don't get yourself mixed up with false fellowships, 
Don't get yourself mixed up with anything that's denying the Lord. You be clean. You be separate. You let the Lord lead you. Now let us pray. O Lord, our God, we thank thee tonight for this wonderful exposition. We thank thee that uh, Paul in Ephesians develops our whole Christian life under this matter of walking. Father, may we walk. May we not stand still. May we not sit around. May we realize that every day is another opportunity to serve the Lord acceptably in his sight. Oh, Father, take the idols away. God forbid that we should put our our houses, our homes, our businesses, our children, our sons, our daughters. God forbid that we should put anything ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. May this message abide in the hearts of our people tonight. And if there be anyone here who's unsaved and knows not what we've been saying here, oh, gracious God, may they be born into the kingdom by accepting Christ as their Savior, by faith believing that he did offer himself up as a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling Savior. A savor which testified to the completeness and the perfection of the work which he finished. Amen. Now let us turn and sing to the praise of God 188, only trusting. 188.
here tonight that wants to accept the Lord as their Savior? After I preached a message and drawn these lines, and we're all over here on the side of the saved, we have to walk this way. That's the way the Lord says to go. Is there anyone here tonight who says, Lord, I want to be saved, and I want to accept Christ? I want to get delivered from the darkness and from my ignorance, and I want to come into the knowledge of God. I want to be a follower of God as one of his dear children. Is there anyone here tonight who wants to make that decision? That's the great decision that has to be made for everlasting life. Now let's just bow our heads for a moment. Our Father, the gospel has been preached in this sanctuary today. Thou hast drawn the lines for us and thou hast destroyed this idea that all men are brothers in their sin and in their iniquity. And that there is no line of breaking down by redemption and separation by grace. And oh God, tonight if there's one sinner in this place that isn't ready to meet God in that moment when he calls, Lord, may they accept Christ now and make that decision. May they accept him on his own terms. May they accept him as he offers himself as the Son of God. Oh, Father, we thank thee that this is the Christ who saved us. And we now long that others shall taste and see that he is good. And while our heads are bowed, I give the invitation again tonight. Is there someone ready to come and say, yes, Lord, I'm here tonight? I accept you as my Savior. I believe that Christ is the Son of God. And there will be no idols in my life. Only Christ shall be the Lord. Will you say that? Anyone who will accept the Savior tonight, anyone who wants to make this decision and come to Christ. Our Father, thou knowest the hearts, and we commit unto thee the message of the evening. May it bear eternal fruit, for Christ's sake, amen.